This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising simplified. Hi, my name is Rob McGray, and you're listening to DTC Growth Hacking, presented by Field Test. This is a podcast dedicated to the new language of marketing that we have somehow christened DTC. Um, my friend Jay, who will be talking today, he actually calls it his contact list. So welcome to Contact List, the podcast <laughs> about, about great customer relationships. Um, today, our guest, as I said, and I'm very excited, is my friend Jay Huffschmidt. And he is just one of the most amazingly talented uh, marketing, event planner, um, salespeople that, that you'll ever get to know. He's a, he's a staple of the Los Angeles community. He's a staple of the Porsche community. And he has been for well over a decade. I mean, I, I've known Jay for a decade, so I can vouch for him for that long. Um, and we're going to dive in. We're going to talk all about, you know, basically what's happening in, in the land of automobiles, the relationships, the ever-changing relationships between, you know, automobile manufacturers, um, dealership franchises, and, and most importantly, customers. Jay, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Rob, for having me. This is exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you about these things. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny because I don't think we're talking about anything we haven't talked about over many, many conversations, but now we're kind of formalizing it in a public forum. I know, I know. People are listening now, so we got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, be careful what we say. Don't say anything bad about, you know. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, Jay, I, I think we've, I think it's been over a decade that, that we've been friends. Um, and, and just, you know, to set historical context of, of how it all came together, uh, I was working at Disney and uh, I was tuning into, I believe it was your Twitter account at the time when you were at Beverly Hills Porsche, uh, and um, I took notice, and I was excited, and I wanted to meet you, and um, I asked, asked one of the team to reach out, and, and we eventually connected, and, uh, and, and history was made. But, but I, I have to say that going back to that time period, and it might even be more than 10 years, to be honest, I think it's like 2010 maybe, but you were doing things on social media that I don't think brands are even doing yet in terms of creating that, that, that relationship with, with other people and social media. Yeah. I think I put hack into hacking, uh, you know, cause just <laughs> jumped in and started playing with tools. I didn't know, you know, it's like running back to the shop and the techs are looking at you. Don't touch my toolbox. No, I want to, I want to learn how this stuff works. And I want it to, you know, I, I, I need to learn. I need to have fun with it. And, uh, so a lot of that was, uh, you know, experimental. Uh, we call it viral marketing back in the day. We didn't, it wasn't even marketing. It was guerrilla, uh, uh, you know, uh, contact with, with customers and jumping into spaces where we weren't invited, really. Um, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. I, I remember having conversations with you and, and there was a, I believe there was even attention because this was such new territory. And, uh, you know, I mean, you were, I know that you were, you were primarily representing, um, the dealership Beverly Hills Porsche, but, but you were also in a way representing Porsche itself in a, in a very different 
kind of language of how you you were going about marketing the products. And 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 I, I remember there was you would you would talk a little bit about this is new to them. It's very new. It's new to all of us. And yeah. we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah. And being a franchise instead of, you know, to be clear, I don't work for Porsche the company. I work for a franchise, an independent owner of a dealership. And uh, back then, uh, not a lot of eyeballs were in the space as far as corporate goes. But once something happens uh, that of note, uh, somebody does look at it and then they start watching it. And uh, I like to say I got in trouble. I didn't get into, into literal trouble. Nobody, you know, came down and took a ruler and slapped me across the wrist, but phone <laughs> calls were made. And it was like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Or that's not corporate identity. That's not CI compliant. That's not the messaging that, that necessarily we want to put out. And I wasn't trying to message so much as I was just trying to make friends and contacts and create uh, community. Uh, the same way we would do in person. You go to a party, you don't just jump into the party and start yelling, hey, I work for Porsche. You walk around and you talk to people and you, you meet them. And, oh, what do you do? Oh, or they see the, you know, they see the logo on the shirt and it gives it away or, or whatever. And social media, or as we, like I said, you know, back then it was Friendster and MySpace where we were playing. Uh, Facebook, you couldn't <laughs> get in unless you had an EDU account. So I found a student and got an edu account and that's where the hack comes in you know hack the facebook uh profile and uh you know the porsche guy and uh you know just jumped in nobody was marketing yet in those spaces not professionally at least facebook hadn't figured it out yet it wasn't monetizing yet uh myspace was for bands for uh movies for tv shows things like that so it was fun getting into that into that space with no rule book and no knowledge, just jump in and make friends and see where it goes. And uh, corporate is watching it yeah. and going, I don't, I don't know, if you can't do that, you better, you better stop. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, they, they, they get it now, but not, they still don't. Everybody's behind the curve on this stuff, I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean my experience, I think one of the things we connected on early on was, you know, over at Disney, the way that that we were approaching social media was very much what what we would call broadcast. It was very one way, and so our strategy at the time, um, especially like once we got on Facebook, was, "Hey, we're going to put up a picture of Mickey, and we're going to solicit responses." Like you know, and the standard thing when if you put up a picture of Mickey Mouse, you got like a hundred and fifty thousand posts or whatever that said, "I love Mickey." Right. But we never like responded back and said, Oh, how's it going? Like nothing. We were just crickets on our side. It was very one way. And what I loved about what you were doing immediately once you were leveraging these platforms was to your point, creating community and having a real conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, engaging with what, what I guess you saw very much as potential friends or potential customers. Exactly. It was, you know, prospecting, we call it in sales business, or you need to find new customers. And the best way is usually to socialize. And what do we call it now? Social media. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think marketers forget that's the part, you know, they, they see the media part. They don't see the social part. And that's where 
the least amount of resources seem to go as far as putting people there to communicate, to answer the the post, you know, hey, I like Mickey, you know, who was sitting there answering it? How many people were sitting there answering it? And what level were they uh, authorized to speak for Mickey Mouse or for, for Disney or yeah. for Porsche? You know, at what level are they uh, a genuine voice of the company? And in, in uh, this whole thing, I wasn't the authorized voice of Porsche. I wasn't, you know, <laughs> I was barely the authorized voice of our dealership. But, you know, here I am out there talking about cars. So, you know, like I said, you get in trouble sometimes. I think also you had done a, you, you were doing a, you were doing a, a, a really good job of, and I don't know if we've, if I've said this to you, but you because because I knew you as, you know, the Twitter account before I knew you as the, the human being, I had an image of you in my head mm-hmm. and you were you were very much bigger than life, like the way you spoke and the confidence. I mean, it was very like, you know, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Like it was it was it was powerful stuff. And I think that's what that's what really made me want to to sit down and talk to you initially was like, who is this guy? Like, what does mm-hmm. it look like in real life? Like, <laughs> like I, I have no idea, but I have an image in my head, mm-hmm. you know? And it's really interesting because, you know, whether it's Porsche or Disney or, you know, J and J or anybody else, there's, I think there's a fear for, there's a logical and, and, and real fear for these brands because someone is going to start to put together a face of the brand of, you know, and translate that into like a, a being. And I think that people are nervous that that might not be the being they want to be. And so, you know, it, it's, 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 it's easier to play God, right. When you don't have to answer to anybody. Right. Well, I, I remember, when you had mentioned in a conversation or I think it was a presentation about when you joined Disney and started looking at things, how overwhelmed you are with the amount of Aladdin porn, you know, the user generated, uh, fan, fan generated, uh, content and how much content was out there based on your company's characters. And, and, yeah. uh, when you start looking at, uh, Porsche, when you start looking at the community, once the car leaves the dealership, once it's in the hands of the owner, it takes on a new life. And some of those lives are quite divergent from what I think Porsche, you know, if Dr. Porsche were still alive today, you know, what would, would Ferdinand Porsche look at somebody say like Magnus Walker or Rod Emery or these guys we call the outlaws, they take cars and they customize them in their own unique way. That's their personality. It's their uh, interpretation of the brand and how the brand's going to be their expression. And it's not necessarily what came out of the factory by the engineers and what, you know, what the purpose was, but it's still part of the Porsche family. It's still part of that thing. And it's taken on its own life through social media, through, through these things. And, you know, Magnus Walker has become a certified star, if you will, um, based on a, 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 a video that was made of his passion for the brand and what he's done with it. And, uh, the more I dig into it when I'm playing around, well, how can I make a downtown Porsche, you know, or me part of that family as well with my own unique voice, but still stay true to what I have to do, which is stay true to the original uh, concept of the brand 
and uh, carry it forward and not get into trouble. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah. no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult um, line to toe. You know, you kind of, yeah, it's hard. I, I, Jay, was it you? I mean, I, I can remember that Magnus Walker. I can't, and I know the filmmaker, his name's Anthony, um, um, Anthony something. And, and he created that first kind of Magnus Walker, you know, outlaw video. And he's driving mm-hmm. around downtown LA and he's talking about like, I, I can't remember, is it the ninth street bridge, the sixth street bridge, one of sixth the bridges street. he loves. Yeah. 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 Sixth street bridge. Uh, yeah. And, and, and to a lot of us in the Porsche community, he was a hero, but at that time, Porsche hadn't really claimed him yet as like one of their own. And it took a while. I remember, I feel like it was you who kind of um, put together, like, I remember being there with Porsche corporate and Magnus Walker and you and all of these worlds colliding at once um, <laughs> right in front of me. And, uh, and then, you know, to your point, now today you go on like, I mean, Magnus, is, he's worked for Porsche. I think he's a spokesperson of some sort. He's also working for like Haggerty, making all these videos. Like his career just shot right up. And and the beautiful thing about Magnus, I think, is that like that's who he is. Like he hasn't changed at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He hasn't changed yeah. for Porsche, right? They've had to like kind of get become tolerant of, of Magnus's Magnusness. <laughs> but he hasn't changed one single bit. Yeah. No, he's, uh, you know, and I've known him for a very long time. Uh, he's, he's a creative. And, you know, he started off, you know, taking clothing and tearing it apart and putting it back together again with embellishments and, and selling it uh, in Venice Beach. And uh, he and, uh, and uh, uh, Karen... Uh, were, you know, they started a clothing company and from the clothing company made enough money to buy the Porsches and do the Porsche thing. And then it, you know, it, it, it morphed. He's the same guy. He's still genuine in what he, in his passion for uh, the brand and the way he sees it and, and takes it. And it's interesting because there's a lot of people out there that are like that. There's a lot of wonderful uh, people who, um, have come to the brand or fall in love with the brand and then turned it into their own, uh, 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 you know, their own calling card, their own, their, they've carved out their own niche. I recently had a customer, David Flores, who is a, uh, street artist, muralist, a worldwide known, just did a wonderful, uh, uh thing for Disney in Shanghai, uh, for the Disney store there. Um, and, uh, he's, his work is just, I love his stuff. It's a kind of a stained glass graffiti, if you will. And he just did the Figueroa hotel mm-hmm. down the street from us, uh, with the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's okay. a, like a 15 story mural, which is amazing. Um, but his car shows up in a lot of his Instagram posts in front of his murals. And that's the car that, you know, I sold them and it's like, Oh, I like this connection of, you know, yeah. the artist showing his drivable art, you know? And, uh, those, those are, those are the things that really drive the excitement and the passion. You know, I came to the brand because I had the poster when I was a kid and said, you know, someday I want to own one. Um, I remember being in high school and not being, you know, 
poor military family. We didn't have a lot of money, but the only way I could drive these cars was to start a detail business out of my garage with a pickup and delivery, you know, no drop it off at my house. I'll come and get it and bring it back. And a 911 SC Targa was one of the first cars that I did weekly, you know, uh, Tasha Hudson, I still remember her name. She was a hairstylist at a local salon and she had this beautiful Targa and I would go and pick it up every Friday, right after school, go pick it up, bring it home, detail it, take it back to her. But I got to drive it. So it was about a 10 mile per week, you know, experience in a 911. And, uh, you know, I guess that was my introduction to the brand. Uh, <laughs> you know, physical introduction yeah, to the I, brand. You never told me that story. Yeah. I did not know you ran like, <laughs> what an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. With, well, with you a, know, with I, a secret I, desire to, to drive the cars. Yeah. I say I've been in sales all my life and, and it's true. You know, I've had to sell something, you know, I've had to, or there was a detail service. It wasn't about the detail. It was about selling the, I'm going to help you take care of this beautiful machine because, you know, someday I want one and I'll do the same for mine, you know? So yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I think Porsche is 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 one of these very um, special brands that that has done something pretty fantastic with with what it represents. And and we had talked about this a little before, but you know, I I remember that this presentation that I had, and and essentially on the one slide I have what appears to be a a, a rather um, a potentially um, homeless looking gentleman approaching, uh, you know, a, a doorman at a hotel. And I ask the audience, like, you know, who is this guy? And, and everybody kind of says he's, he's a homeless man. He's going to ask for money. And then in the next slide, I show that, oh, they're bringing up his car. And he was, he was about to hand his ticket to the, the valet is what was going on. And here's his car. It's a, it, it, I think it was like a Panamera GTS. And now tell me who this man is. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, he's a screenwriter. No, he's like a music producer. It's Rick Rubin. Like, like you get all these like great things that the, the farthest from, you know, homeless person as you can get. And, and what I loved about this, this idea is that, as you said, you, you take this brand and you bring it to anybody and it kind of changes. It doesn't change them, right? It enhances them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so amazing about it. And, and I think that people who, I mean, I'll speak for myself, like buying those cars and owning those cars really made me feel special. And, and in a way, um, I think I commandeered the brand to be part of my own. I, I don't own one right now. And I do feel somewhat like it's not as bad as quitting smoking or anything, but I do feel somewhat at a loss sometimes because it was a part of my identity that I don't have right now. Yeah. And we'll have to fix that soon. <laughs> Get you I'm, back. I'm carless. I have no car right now. Oh, no. no. Um, okay. I wasn't driving anywhere. Um, yeah. I don't really go anywhere. Cause, and then I was like, why do I have a car? Um, that's wild. Well, that's after, a story. yeah. Since, since you've brought up the uh, homeless guy uh, thing, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's true. Porsche does make you feel different. And, uh, when you're driving it, when you own one, you understand, I, I stole that from someone own one and you'll understand. But, uh, when you're driving it, um, things are different. You have a little different sense of 
the commute. It's not necessarily the commute anymore. Um, we nickname it the therapy car every once in a while. You know, somebody say, well, you know, why am I spending this much money on a car? I said, well, you can quit therapy because, you know, after a long day of yelling at people at work, you can jump in this thing and, and take Mulholland Drive home instead or hit, uh, you know, one of the, our famous canyons. And by the time you get home, you're you're OK. Everything's all right again. All is forgiven. You know, tomorrow's another day and you get to drive back in, in the Porsche and start fresh. And it's it's really fun. I have, I have had a snarky sales guy that I used to love working with just because I liked I liked the way he could get away with the snark uh, in a way I could never do. But you know, uh, they would say, "Well, we're considering a we're, we're considering a Tesla over the, the the Porsche." And he says, "Well, with the Porsche, you're not going to have to explain to him why you bought it. That won't be part of the conversation you have at dinner, you know, or with the friends." It's like, "Why did you buy the Tesla? Why did you buy that model instead of that model with a Porsche?" They're going, "Dude, you got a Porsche!" You know, it's like cool. You know, I don't care what it is. Yeah. It could be a Macan. It could be a 911 Turbo S a Cabriolet. You know, with everything on it, you bought a Porsche. And it, uh, I, you know, I know that sounds arrogant, but it's true. You know, there's, there's a certain cachet to that. Um, I loved the presentation you did several years ago where you put a video up of a Porsche driving through this twisty, you know, misty road. And at the end of it, mm-hmm. you quite aggressively pointed at the screen and said, that's me. I'm that car. I want to be that. That's what Porsche promised me when, you know, I watched this video and when I went in to buy my car and then of course you kind of cut us down to size a little bit, which is great because I loved, (laughs) I like criticism. I'm not perfect in any way. My brand is trying to be perfect in every way. I'm not for sure, but I looked at that and I immediately saved that video and I sent it on to our uh, CEO the Porsche North America debt lab, which is a big no, no, you know, you just don't take stuff that's that critical and send it to the big boss. And then I think it was about a month or two later, I invited you to a, a dinner party at Magnus's house <laughs> and introduced you to debt lab. And I think yeah, yeah. it flowed into something where you actually wound up meeting and, and going to, to, to Porsche to, uh, to uh, talk about some of this yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah it was, which was awesome. I love making no, those it was, connections. Uh, it was an amazing. It was. It was amazing for me. It was that was that was like a such a highlight of my career because I I worked for Disney, but I did a presentation about Porsche, and uh, which I think confused everybody. Um, but <laughs> you know, to to go from creating a like a UX experience um, critique of the European delivery program, and then finding myself in in Porsche corporate. Uh, headquarters in Atlanta, um, I, I don't know if I knew what was happening, right? It, it all kind of, it all kind of, you know, I think that it's weird and this is a little off subject, but the way our, our minds work and the way that we manifest opportunities for ourselves, I think at the time I, I was on like autopilot and, and, and it wasn't until I was there and everything was set up, right? I had gone there, I had done a presentation about like, you know, it was it was all about that Porsche was the Beatles of of automobiles, right? It was it was it was very. I felt it was very on point, and uh, and the response I thought was good. And we went into um, Detlev's office, and he says, "So, what do you want to do?" And now, in in the story of my life, this was the moment where I am supposed to say, "I want to come here and work for you guys." This is what I've been like <laughs> trying to do yeah. this whole time. 
But instead, I'm like, uh, um, well, you know, I'm checking things out. I'm feeling things out. I, I tried to play it cool. I, I didn't. I just didn't understand like what where I had arrived, and uh, and it was such. And, and at that point, like I, I feel like I blew it, and uh, and 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 there was no going back. I couldn't recreate that moment, you know. And it was a moment that, you know, I felt like looking back, like I worked really hard for. Um, yeah. and, and, and it, and it was the pinnacle of that relationship with the brand. Well, I had, I had been asked by some, uh, coworkers, actually my direct boss was like, why would you do that? And I said, well, this guy has something really constructive. This is criticism that is incredibly constructive. That's going to help us create a better customer experience because you know, create a better uh, a thing. And this guy works for a brand that's named after the founder, the last name Disney. Mm-hmm. It's a legacy brand. And what do we, we work for a legacy brand named after its founder, Dr. Ferdinand Porsche. This is a match made in heaven. This is a guy coming from a company who's like us and he's got it better yeah. and he can do it better. So let, you know, why not make that pairing? And my boss said, yeah, you're right. But you know, he, he said some not so nice things. I said, but that he's our customer too. And when a customer says not nice things, you learn from them and you have to figure it out. And like I said, I am not the perfect salesperson. I make a lot of mistakes, but I try really hard to make sure everybody feels special, that everybody has the experience that I want to have in buying something that's so ridiculously expensive, but pays back in such ridiculous ways. Uh, you know, uh, the yeah. Porsche brand ambassador training, uh, is a you know, multi-days, you got to go back for recertification all the time. But one of the things they say is you need to understand that you need to create experiences as legendary as the cars we sell. And I think it's a pretty powerful mission statement right there that that puts it on us, you know, the, the guys in the showroom to create or to help facilitate an experience that's uh, what that crest is promising what that you know what that dancing horse yeah. that prancing horse on the crest is saying i'm powerful stallion and i'm going to feel you know in the, this prestige let's not make it feel like buying a i'm not going to say what brand but a, you know a cheaper brand you know a, a non-prestigious brand yeah, yeah i mean i'm I mean, you know, Porsche has this mystique. I, I think, you know, that, for example, um, you know, I think I went to a, a launch party that you threw for the the 991, um, 911 when it came out. And, you know, and, and the way that that party was was laid out, everybody, and I assume it's it's your customers that you invited, but everybody there was given the full VIP treatment. I mean, from the red carpet and the photos and the, the, the you coming out and the, the personal kind of touches along the way, it just felt so unlike anything to do with buying a car, right? And I remember saying to myself, this is part of the sales process. Like this guy is planting so many seeds with this party. Like there is no way anybody here is going to buy a car from anybody else. You know, it's like, it, there's just no way, like this is going to pay back 
and, and this is really going to be effective over the long term because you're going to want to continue to get invited to these parties. You're going to want to continue to feel this way and get this treatment. And, and I had never seen anything like it before. And what was fun about that particular event, uh, that was the launch of the 991. And part of what I wanted to, to create was a show of how Porsche has changed, but it hasn't through the years. And I don't know if you remember, but when you first came in to the setup, there was a uh, uh, 911, old first generation 911. And then you walked through each of the generations and, you know, so you'd move from there to uh, the next one, to the next one, to the next one. But when I was putting all that together um, and this is where social media played a really big part of making this thing a success was I wanted cars of historic significance. So that first nine 11 that you saw was the first nine 11. That was Jerry Seinfeld's mm-hmm. car. And that's number one, the famous number one car. And uh, Sam Cabiglio, his manager, uh, the guy that manages his cars, and uh, his personal manager, George Shapiro, are both Twitter, you know, on my Twitter. And and I reached out to George Shapiro first. And, you know, he's he's Mr. Hollywood, George Shapiro West. If you ever watch Seinfeld, Shapiro West, Uh that's, you know, that's him. I said, dude, I need I need a car from Jerry. I don't care which one, but I need a car from Jerry. Historic significance. And he says, Jay, he's got number one. What do you want? Number one? I said, yeah, I want number one. So I got number one. And then the G body was was the great ghost. It's the only car that's ever won Porsche Parade three times. No car's ever won it three times. Uh, Joseph DeMeo owns it. It's a 154,000 mile car that looks brand new because he's restored this thing to perfect. So all those cars were, but all these guys had great social media and and had famous cars and were part of that cool kids club, that cool Porsche club. And I wanted all of our clients to feel like they were also part of that club and they could mix and mingle and see those cars in person at our, you know, uh, showroom and know that their next car was part of this line was part of this this heritage line and it was fun putting it together but to your point of making everyone feel special yeah i have to go out and i got to talk to everyone and uh and 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 i they're all my friends i, I look at you all as being my friends and uh, uh, when you have all your friends at a party at the same time, <laughs> it becomes complicated, but it's fun. And we're all yeah. celebrating. We're, we're all celebrating the same thing. You know, we're all celebrating our love of this particular uh, machine that, you know, kills dinosaurs and goes really fast and makes us feel cool. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, Jay, Jay you're, you're kind of like, you're, you're almost in a way mixing, you're mixing tools constantly, right? You've got this, um, I, I think we could say mastery of social media. You, you've got all the traditional sales conventional kind of stuff like the 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 face to face the the one to one the you know the shaking of the hands like you've got all that um like i guess my question would be is do you think that being able to leverage these new tools is 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 critical for the success of of people in in, in sales today uh yeah Absolutely. You have to be where people are, you know, whether they say follow the eyeballs, but you have to communicate with people the way they want to communicate. And I have customers that won't pick up the phone. They won't use email. They'll just hit you up on Instagram. It's an Instagram private message from beginning to end. You know, they've picked up the car, they've taken the car home. They can't figure something out. He doesn't call me. He you know, DMs me, you know, all of a sudden, Hey, I can't figure this out. How do, how do I get the garage door opener to work on this, you know, on the touch screen now, you know, I know there's this GPS sensor that knows I'm home and it's supposed to open my garage for me and it's not working. How, how do I do it? He doesn't call me. He, he, he DMs me on, on Instagram. So if you don't have the, if you don't know the tools and you don't use the tools, you're, you're probably missing out because a lot of people, that's the way they're communicating. You got to be where they are. Um, Every salesperson should be able to do it uh, uh, proficiently. They don't have to be an expert, but they should be able to at least, you know, do it as well as they can pick up the phone. Although in most cases, even training somebody to use the phone properly is difficult, but they need to use those tools. And as tools, new tools come out, we need to, we need to experiment with them. Well, they might work. They might not work. They might stay. They may not stay. You know, Vine came and went. Uh, Yik Yak came and went. There's a lot of things that came and went. I had accounts on everything. I've had accounts on just about everything. I haven't done TikTok yet. But, you know, we've done, we've, we've played with just about everything just to see where does it work and how does it work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You, you, you said something interesting in, when we were talking earlier. Um, and, and I hadn't really made this connection before, but, you know, it's kind of like when I talk to friends that I haven't talked to in a while, but, but I'm friends with them on, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, I still kind of have an idea of what's going on. Like, Hey, Oh, hi. Hey, how was the trip to blah, blah, blah. How was this? And I, I didn't realize until you said it, I think when we were talking yesterday that, you know, what this is giving the, the salesperson is so much context about what's going on with the person that mm-hmm. you would in the past have to really do some digging. Like you would almost go in blind, but now you actually have a conversation queued up to have ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's such an advantage. I don't know why everybody wouldn't just like want to like want to be buddies with your customers online. Cause you kind of know what's up with them. You're in fact, I mean, if we break it down to like just, you know, sales techniques, I mean, you're going to kind of know when they are in a position to even have a, get a new car. Right. Know? Well, yeah. If somebody posts a picture of a, of a, a minor accident, it's easy to jump on and mm-hmm. say, oh, that'll, 
yikes, hey, bring it in. We've got somebody who can fix that without going to a body shop or, yeah. you know, uh, they're hanging out with somebody that you've been trying to get as a customer. That's my favorite thing is, you know, you see somebody standing there. Oh, my God, that guy was in not too long ago and he hasn't, you know, he hasn't bought a car yet. I'm not going to reach out to him directly. I want to reach out to the guy who was, you know, that I'm stalking on Instagram. Hey, hey your yeah. buddy's looking for a car and he came in and, you know, and the, to sell him for me, you know. So sometimes that's when you, yeah. you act, if it's okay, I'm going to say it. You did that to me today. Um, you sent me a, a, a screen, a, a link on Twitter that David Crosby, uh, Crosby stills in Nash and Young, was pissed that his Tesla, he's been lied to by Tesla and his car's still not there. And I shamelessly replied to, to him, uh, you know, hey, call me. And then used the uh, wasted on the way lyric that, <laughs> you know, it's probably out of context, but I don't care. Um, but it's funny. As soon as that was done, I got onto my photos and found my picture of uh, David and I together at the autism light up the blues concert uh, that we sponsored by Porsche. And, uh, and then I found a picture of me opening the door of a Panamera that I sent to Graham Nash's house to pick him up. And, and bring him to the event. And I'm, I'm like the, you know, the doorman opening the door and I, you know, here I am opening the door for Graham uh -huh. Nash. And I was thinking, you know, I, maybe I should get these back on the, uh, on the social media as uh, Hey, uh, Crosby, you get over here. <laughs> we know each other. <laughs> you know, we don't, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny how uh, I do. quickly that, that stuff can happen. And I think it was cool that you, that you even sent that over, you know, I thought that was uh Funny because customers will do that and well, friends will so do that. So in line with our the, the conversations we've uh, been having, it was so it. it was perfectly it. queued up. I really want him to respond to you and 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 say I want him to call you and be like, "What can you do for me?" Because I'm so sick of Tesla. I know, I know. Well, I was I was as, as soon as I finished, I started looking through my phone book trying to find the event producer that I worked with when we put that event together, because she used to be the, the executive director of the Greek theater for Niederlander. And she knows, she knows him very well. And I was like, you know, Hey, Rena, put in a good word for me with David, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, uh, but that's, you know, networking, that's the way you do it. And sometimes you got to use the social media platform to queue it up. And then it, sometimes it plays out in public and it works great, and other times it, it could be a you know oops, but uh, it's fine. It's kind of it's <laughs> and kind I thank of like you for what, that. It's what I was, yeah. But it's what I was saying before. We we kind of manifest our own opportunities, and you know, I mean, uh, hopefully, you know, David buys a car, and to a lot of people, it's going to look like oh, he probably just walked in, and and you know, he just happened to go to Beverly Hill. Uh, he just happened to go to Porsche um, downtown Los Angeles, but but. In reality, it took a bunch of work. It always takes work. It never yeah. just just happens, right? Right. Yeah. And and I think that that's the important thing for for that everybody in marketing, um, if they don't already get, is that the 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 days of random sales. Um, it's not that they're completely gone because I think they still happen, but there are so many tools to reduce the randomness. And create opportunity that is just a funnel coming in all the time. And, and we mm -hmm. use this word funnel, you know, online, but, but it's true. You're just planting seeds all the time. The tweet to, to David Crosby is another seed. It's another possible new customer. It's another possible new relationship. And the way that you talk about it, you never even talk about, you never say sale. 
I haven't heard you say like, oh, I'm going to make a sale. I've mm-hmm. never heard you say that. It's always, I'm going to get a new customer. I'm going to have a new friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you acquire a client, you acquire a friend, there's going to be multiple sales along the way, hopefully. Um, sometimes they take breaks. Sometimes they have affairs with other with other makes, you know, <laughs> they go and have a Tesla for a little while. And, uh, but eventually yeah, they come I know back. Someone who did that. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. do too. Uh, I know a few actually, <laughs> but they, you know, I like to think that everybody eventually will come back. Um, but I also like the fact that I have, I have a few friends, portfolio customers who have followed me through my career. I have a, a, a guy who bought a Cadillac from me back in the nineties. I had a kitchen and bath remodeling company for a few, few years uh, that I, that I worked with and I did his kitchen. Um, he didn't want a Porsche. He's not a Porsche guy, but he wanted a BMW. I hooked him up with that. Um, I got in the alcohol business and made alcohol for a while. And he was, a, a wanted to get involved in that to be an investor. And so the relationship was longer and now, uh, Porsche's got, uh, electric cars and he wants an electric car. And so, a brand he thought he'd never want, he's thinking about. And he's not going anywhere else to look at it. He's going to, you know, he asked me, can you bring one over? <laughs> can you snag one for the night? Let's take it out to dinner, that type of thing. So customers for life, if you will, uh, friends for life, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, yeah. The, 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 the whole idea of, of, you know, getting these new terms, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, right? So growth hacking and all these terms like, well, this is what we used to do a long time ago. Uh, you know, with, with going to the rotary club or going to the, uh, uh, Kiwanis club or taking a car to a, a fancy restaurant and putting it, you know, paying 50 bucks to have the valet, leave it out front and then standing there all night with the car as people come out of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, that's mine. Yeah. And then passing out cards, you know, that was, that was the growth hack back then. Now it's a little bit easier. We can do it on a, on a mobile device uh, or our laptop or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, I'll, I'll admit, I, 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 I went and, and dabbled in the, in the Tesla ecosystem for a little while. And one of the things that, that I noticed was that Tesla is, is trying to do everything they can to replace humans in the whole entire process, right? <laughs> they're trying to make, like, they're trying to strip humanity out of everything. So you, there's no one you can call. It's all through, everything's through apps or online. And what ultimately ends up happening, because nothing's perfect, is when the system breaks, you're just completely hosed. There's, it's very hard to, to operate outside of the technology, but the technology is not perfect. And, you know, I mean, I, I ended up, I did do a test drive. I actually, I, I, I don't know. We talked about this once when I was looking at new cars, I just rented them on Turo. The service Turo is really cool. And you just rent it for like two days. And then that was like an awesome test drive. But I went in and, you know, I did, I did have a, I met um, a woman who's the, the salesperson at Tesla. She was very nice. She didn't, I'm not going to say that she knew a, she wasn't like a car, a car person, but, but she was, was very personable and, and kind. But once I got handed off from her to like the technology, the, the whole experience became very, very cold and it became very hard to get any information. For example, 
when's my car coming? Like everything goes into like this black hole until they're ready to like, you know, give you a little information here and there. And, you know, one of the things that, that annoyed me was that they had all this, you know, quote unquote, optimized technology, but you show up for service and there's like a line around the block and you're thinking, did, did everybody pick 1005? Like what's going on here? And it was just really strange. And so as much as I, I used to believe that the dealership model was probably going to go away and it might be a good thing, but the replacement is, is far worse than, than say, for example, what I have with, with you, right? Which is mm-hmm. a person, like I, I don't deal with a dealership. I only, I deal with you, right? And, and that, is, that is what I don't think we want to go away because the minute that goes away, everyone's going to be in this tech, like level one tech support hell, you know, going through like, you know, menu upon menu and never getting anything done. Yes. And, and, uh, not, I'm not going to turn this into an Elon bashing, but a, a man in stretchy pants and a helmet dancing around on a stage last night, pretending to be a robot. And then Elon saying, well, this is what we're going to have as a real robot in a year from now, putting your cars together, uh, tells you everything you need to know about <laughs> the thought process that he, he goes through. The dealership model was set up a long time ago as an antitrust as a, a, a thing to keep manufacturers from price fixing, to keep manufacturers from uh, making it difficult on the consumer to get a good deal or to, to get a fair deal in a car by making independent dealerships, by making franchises, there's competition. And I know over the years it's turned into this adversarial, you know, icky feeling of, Oh, I got to go to this guy and he's going to, how much are you willing to pay? And I could go see a manager and this back and forth thing that's turned into its own game, mostly by the dealerships, but also a lot by the consumer behavior, but it's created competition among, uh, you know, Toyota dealerships or Porsche dealerships um, here, you know, and I think we had this conversation when you were talking about your Tesla purchases, you know, there was no negotiation. That's the price. Here's the thing. I, I don't get a choice. I can, you know, I go in and I say, here's what I want. And they tell you, here's how much it costs. And then you have to pay for it. And then you've got to wait for it. And it's a different experience than going, you know, say to a franchise dealership say, Oh, well here, Oh, well I, you don't have it. I'm going to go check you know, Beverly Hills, God forbid, um, or, or, you know, somewhere else. And you're, you're shopping around. Um, that shopping process, I think, is the, the evil part people want to cut out and to be more seamless. But at the same time, they want the human interaction. They want somebody to show them how to use the car. They want somebody to sit there with them and answer their questions and not have to look at a, a, a book or an online manual or go to YouTube and look at a YouTube video on how to do it. They want somebody. They want somebody there that's mm-hmm. professional and smart to help them. Apple had the idea correct with the Genius Bar back in the day. I think they've lost their way a little bit. If you've tried to go to a Genius Bar recently, you, you know how bad that is. But you know that customer service part of it needs a human that can communicate on a human level. Will AI get there? Maybe. Will we? You know, the next generation going down, sorry, I just lost my earphone. Uh, will the next generation going down just be so used to there's no customer service that they don't care? They're just going to keep going on with it that way? Uh, yeah, maybe. But 
in the near in the near term, we still need to have the the the, the people, the customer service, and the dealer yeah. model is really the only way that's delivering it correctly. Some dealers not so good. Other dealers really fantastic. Some brands not so good. Other brands really well. I think Porsche does an incredible job, not only in their training, but what they expect their dealer body to uh, perform at. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it, nothing is perfect, right? Nothing right. is perfect. But the ability to try and make it more perfect has to come from a management team and an employee base that's working in conjunction with that management team to, you know, to create that great customer service. Um, all these great tools are there, you know, Twitter's a great place to go vent. <laughs> I, I, I gotta be careful that, you know, all of my personal tweets are not, you know, bitching out Southwest airlines or, or time Warner cable or whoever, you know, for starting, I got to compliment something and I, I got to put some, you know, roses and kittens somewhere in my feed to make up for the times that I've used it to bitch about customer service uh, of a, of a brand that I think just isn't paying attention, you know? So, um, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like Yelp. I, I think most people use Yelp. They, they, it's either, it's, it's one, it's either like the greatest meal you ever had or the worst meal you ever had. There's no like middle. <laughs> right. Right. It's true. It's true. We use Yelp. We'll look at, read a couple of bad reviews first, and then we'll read a couple of good reviews second to balance it out. But with the bad, I'll, then I'll go back to the bad reviews and click on that person's profile and see that, you know, pretty much everything they've complained or everything they've written has been a complaint. Yeah. I don't like this person. <laughs> you know? So yeah. th throw that one out. And then there's the next guy who complained, but he's written some complimentary. He, he has a good balance. So, okay. And then further analyze his review and go, well, he caught the restaurant on a bad day, or maybe he was, you know, he's comparing this particular food to his grandmother. You know, it's an authentic ethnic food that, that is his family made, and he's comparing it to his grandmother's recipe. Yeah, it's a restaurant. It's not your grandma's house. So, you know, so I throw that one out. So, am I going to that restaurant now? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> you know? So, you know, what's cool about these tools, and I, I think we talked, we, like, you and I have talked so much. It's great. And, like, forget when and how we had the certain conversations, but we were talking about stalking, you know, on, on whether it's Instagram or, or Twitter or mm -hmm. whatever, it's somebody allowed you, they followed you and they followed back. They've allowed you to see their content. So if you're looking through their pictures, I don't think you're stalking. You're learning more about them. You're you know, looking for more common ground or you're looking for a great vacation spot or a wine suggestion or, or a car suggestion or, or whatever. But it's 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 a tool that we can use and learn more and create a better commonality, a better rapport with somebody. And I think it makes it easier to transact. I think it makes it easier to help get them in the right car, in the right uh, you know in the in the in the right time, and uh, then you know link them into the Porsche Club or the events or whatever it takes mm -hmm. to make sure that they. Uh, are fully immersed in the brand lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I, I think I will stop using the, the stalking term um, in, in that, in that way. Cause you're absolutely right. I mean, you're basically opening up your life or your digital life to somebody else and you're welcoming them to, to take a look, to get to know you, or at least the, the, you know, the air of what you've, 
wanted to present because I, everybody's not 100% honest on, on social media. I mean, we tend to like highlight the good times and not the bad, which I think is causing, you know, it's a totally other subject, but I think it's causing like depression because everyone else seems to be having such a good time. Why does my life suck so bad type of feelings? Well, to that point, you can really learn a lot about a person from their post because it's, it is true. A lot of people curate their feed to show their best life, but there are other people who use it just simply to be, I'm miserable and here's how miserable I am. And Mm -hmm. everything's a complaint. Everything's a, you know, some kind of injustice that needs to be righted, whether it's just, I didn't get the, uh, the, the the dollar off on the happy meal thing or, or whatever. Um, but you can learn a lot about a customer. It's like, oh, yeah, that one looks like heat. Let's stay away from that guy. You know, <laughs> he's a, every every review yeah. he's ever written has been a, a complaint about something. Yeah, maybe I don't want to ha- have him as a client. You know, and that's a bad thing to say as a as a salesperson. But seriously, you know, if I look at it, it uh, a, a profile, and there are people who who do present their worst self instead of their best life on their, on their, uh, social media profiles. So it's a good, it's a good way to get a picture of somebody, even if they've curated it to fool you into thinking they've got more money than they've got or the better lifestyle than what they've got. Um, you know, it, it, it does still give you a nice window. The picture, what do they say? A picture says a thousand words, you know? So that one picture you can just Mm -hmm. stare at for a while and, and literally, you know, read a whole chapter into it. Yeah. Jay, I could, I could talk to you about this stuff for like the next, the entire day, but, uh, you know, we're kind of reaching the end of our time. Um, look, I, I love everything that you've done. You've had an amazing career. You've, um, you've provided me personally with, with great conversation and, and a lot of great vehicles, um, along the way. And I just want to applaud you. Um, I, I think that, you know, in the world of direct to consumer, like you are the, you are the star. And, uh, and for anybody listening, I, I just like really, um, want to emphasize this, that, that this is the guru in town. This is the guy who, who's been doing it, um, longer and better than any of us. And so I, I just wanted to thank you. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that. And I have, I've admired you since the day we met. I love the work and the fact that you've diverse, you are so diverse, whether it's Disney or the robots or, or that, but more importantly, you light up whenever we talk about Porsche, there's, there's something there and it's the same glow that I get when I do it. And it's just kind of fun to be around another person who has that same uh, uh, unapologetic passion for something like that. And I, I appreciate you very much. Thank you for uh, having me and asking uh, me to do this. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't do this very often. So <laughs> actually I almost never do this. So well, this you- is fun. Thank well, you. hopefully you'll be doing it more. Jay, Jay what's the best way for, uh, and thank you for those kind words. Um, you know, I, I, in a way the brand brought us together as friends and I think that's powerful. I think it's a very powerful thing. Um, but what, what's, what's the best way for people to, to, to find out more about you get in touch with you, um, follow you, not stalk you, but yeah, follow no, you online. Stalk, stalk all you want. You know, I always say Google me and you'll find enough uh, good or bad about me that you can decide which platform you want to uh, come in on. 
I'm not going to tell you, but uh, Instagram seems to be my hangout of late. Um, it just seems to be uh, the one that I like to spend the most amount of time for. So Jay, the Porsche guy on Instagram, you can hit me up on Twitter at Jay, the Porsche guy. You can find me on Facebook, Jay, the Porsche guy, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm there as well. Uh, not as much anymore. Cause that's turned into a big spam folder, but, um, yeah, yeah. It, just, it's, it, I'm not hard to find. It, it's not hard to find me, you know? Uh, or come visit us. We're Figueroa in Washington in beautiful downtown, three blocks south of Staples Center. And we are open. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Jay. Um, you know, I, I do recommend you go check out his stuff. It's super cool. He's a super cool guy. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that I thought was important about our conversation is this idea of how humans fit into the the entire kind of DTC process. And I think that Jay is a great example of, of the importance of that human connection and that human relationship. We spend so much time thinking about ways to automate or, you know, to, to remove humans from the equation. And, and I just don't know if that's the best idea. And so uh, food for thought for everybody. Um, my name is Rob McGray. You're listening to DTC Growth Hacking. It's presented by Field Test. Our uh, sound engineer and editor is Garrett Griebel. And new pods drop every Tuesday. Um, If you like it, please subscribe and uh, tell all your friends. Jay, thanks again for coming on. This was awesome. Thank you, Rob. It was great. This was a Field Test podcast.